Fantasia, 1940. Fantasia opens on a symphony in silhouette as color illuminates instruments tuning up, further shading the artist's performing. As the performance begins, the shadows become more abstracted, not yet animated. Collages of shadows cast by performers, their craft highlighted as a unit but no individual spotlighted. Vladimir Taitla says that, quote, Animation is not just timing or a well-drawn character, it is the sum of all the factors named. This collaboration that the Disney studio thrived on is mirrored in Fantasia's opening and is on full display in the musical segments, both individually and seen together as a piece. Released the same year as Pinocchio, yet much more ambitious, Fantasia is a collection of seven musical vignettes, free of dialogue and ranging in tone and plot, while live-action introductions are given before each piece. The third segment, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, is where production began as a silly symphony short, but as production became increasingly costly, the project expanded. Fantasia runs just over two hours, making it the longest studio feature to date, second being the 2018 film Ralph Breaks the Internet. Like other formalist titles, Fantasia has strong staying power in the branding of Disney at the parks, in merchandise, and in a sequel, Fantasia 2000. The opening segment, Takata and Fugue in D minor, is the most abstract piece, starting with the shadow work until the screen fades into a painted sky as motion streaks across in time, simulating an angelic stroke of instrumentation. This opening piece deviates from the hyperrealism present in the rest of the film, but remains striking, fields of color splashing with the sole purpose of complementing the score. It is an incredible opening that washes over the audience with abstract animation the studio is not known for, straying away from what Paul Wells calls orthodox animation, but using his theory of analysis, it is not as distant from orthodox as the work may seem. While the piece may lack a narrative continuity to speak of, it is largely unified in style and lacking the strong presence of a single artist, again speaking to the collaboration the studio features in large part due to industrialization by Walt. That said, the segment is pleasant and opens the film well, before returning to live-action introductions for the next, more traditional-looking segment, The Nutcracker Suite. As Deems Taylor says on stage, there is no Nutcracker character to be seen. This segment follows fairies, a group of proto-tinkerbells that are gracing a forest with dew for the morning to come, and here the next elevation of the hyper-real aesthetic is showcased. These characters have a glow that surpasses the blue fairies on a technical level and are given more movement to challenge the detail. Their work involves a lot of water drops passing over surfaces and water rippling, and no detail is spared, as light and glitter follow wherever they go. As the segment continues, the camera moves into the water to watch fish perform a dance routine. Like in Pinocchio, the translucency of these fish characters is astounding, but Fantasia succeeds on a larger scale with multiple fish on screen and more movement and layers being accounted for. The camera pans past seaweed that is also translucent as it follows the routine. Later, there is a flower arrangement that becomes a group of ballet dancers which pushes the range of depth the camera captures before they finish and the camera fades back to the forest where the fairies wake and fly off again. Next is the most famous section, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which has the most concrete plot of all segments as well as the recognizable face of Mickey Mouse, which makes it the easy standout. Mickey is training under a powerful sorcerer and, tired of running water back and forth, attempts to use his master's power to animate a broom to do chores for him. This quickly goes awry and his overconfidence leads to the room flooding and his attempt to chop up the broom creates more sentient brooms, worsening the problem until the master returns and resolves it. The studio again highlights how well it animates detailed water movement as Mickey swirls around the room perilously on a book and this segment is a case in which the scene having sparse sense of place further dramatizes events as the scale of water and height of the stairs feels unknowable and this benefits the perception of suspense. Despite having the most concrete plot structure, I find the character beats underwhelm the piece when compared to the later pieces that forego character beats at all, but the visual spectacle is undeniable. 
The next segment is Rite of Spring, which is the segment I find the least interesting. Conceptually, it is fascinating that 1940 Disney animated a short depicting the Earth's evolution scientifically, but the actual events on screen lack the same personality imbued into characters that captures attention or creates character beats. That is likely intentional, and the segment accomplishes making a detailed environment, especially the volcanoes erupting in time with score. This is all remarkable in craft, but ultimately hollow in comparison with the surrounding works. Even without character beats to speak of, the segment feels narratively inert as it ends with dinosaurs dying out and the world continuing to change, lacking in any real satisfaction. Following this is an intermission, and on return, the host has a conversation with a personified soundtrack that demonstrates a waveform reacting to various instruments being played. While it runs longer than may be necessary, it is a fun and cute segment that speaks to the studio's strength of working around sound and music, as demonstrated in all the feature films thus far. The visual of the white line moving is reminiscent of Lin Lai's A Color Box, an abstract paint animation that largely features white streaks moving in color. But the framework of character being prescribed by Deems and Fantasia absolves it of the abstract present in Lai's short, again trapping it in the orthodox mode, making the segment feel like a half measure on screen. The next segment is my personal favorite, the Pastoral Symphony. This segment depicts various centaur creatures, women named centaurettes, as they graze a field and couple up, including a scene with a cupid figure matchmaking two single characters. The personality present in these characters is incredibly charming, and the serenity of the setting and visuals complement the score well. It is also notable that these characters are perceived nude for portions of the segment, one of two things indicating an intent for older audiences. The segment starts with the centaurettes bathing, and once they are mingling with other characters, they wear gorgeously designed floral pieces that cover the chest. This segment has been cut down from the original due to racist depictions of dark-skinned centaurettes as zebra women that are seen polishing shoes and braiding hair, and the current release still briefly shows some of these zebra centaurettes, though they are not seen doing anything. The segment continues as Bacchus, god of wine, enters the field for the festival being prepared for him, but it is not long before the clouds above darken and Zeus himself, looking quite like the Zeus in Hercules, starts to pelt the field with lightning bolts for fun. The animation on this half of the segment is remarkable. The movement of these characters is great, especially Vulcan, who is crafting lightning for Zeus and sending it to him, depicted by lightning passing through the clouds before reforming into the more cartoon iconic bolt shape. The darkening of the field to reflect the tone and use of distinct silhouettes benefits the bombardment sequence as Bacchus attempts to flee and attacks before Zeus decides to call it a day, and the segment ends. The penultimate segment is Dance of the Hours, a ballet symbolic for the sections of the day, displayed by several groups of animals moving in and out from a great hall. This segment is comedic and indicative of the studio knowing how to personify animals through movement. While Hours is less rooted in the hyperrealism of the era, the detail is still there, and impressive while being used for different aesthetic results. Particularly, the bubble-blowing elephants feel like a runaway to the pink elephant set piece in Dumbo the next year. The whole piece feels more comedic than the surrounding segments and films of the era, evoking the silly symphony shorts and unintentionally foreshadowing the tone of future package films the studio will produce. The finale of the anthology is the visual climax of the whole picture. Night on Bald Mountain and Ava Maria score the segment, as the titular Bald Mountain overlooking a small town transforms into the devil, Chernabog, and summons demons and spirits for his most unholy ceremony. Much like Monstro, Chernabog is fully black and the detail of light outlining him creates a very imposing effect. He is towering over any scene he is in due to enormous sense of scale, but the shading as he is lit by fire is phenomenal. This is seen many times on his hands as he holds and transforms demons into various forms, one of which is seductive women. This detail, paired with the fact that some of the harpy demons have bare breasts and noticeable nipples as they fly at the screen, further reinforces the inconsistency of intended audiences of the anthology, which ultimately works against it as a piece. While I mostly enjoy all the segments on their merits, the film would benefit from picking a quadrant to hit. 
The final segment concludes with the demons of hell being driven out by impressionist depictions of monks singing as the camera passes by a forest and into a sunrise before the film ends. Fantasia has many undeniable high points that are marvels of animation and what the studio was capable of in its formative years. The variety of the segments further highlights the different touches of all the hands in the room and the collaboration the studio excelled at, even if the extremes of tone throughout clash in places, but this will depend in part on the viewer. Fantasia is trying to be a piece of art that can truly appeal to any room, transcending fairy tale picture, family picture, or kids picture, but as a result of that big of a swing, it will miss for some. While Walt wanted to produce this style of film forever, box office numbers were dismal with the war affecting markets, and ultimately the legacy has only produced one sequel after his death. But Disneyland will always have Mickey's blue hat. Next up, Dumbo, 1941. Please go to ghostofjoe.com to see all these essays. You can also find a link to this one directly in the show notes of this upload. And there you will find in-text citations and works cited. And share it with anyone who you think cares a lot about Disney animation. You can also find myself on Twitter at ghostofjoe, ghostofjo. The music used in this audio version is from The Skeleton Dance, a Disney Silly Symphony short. Thank you for listening and reading.